Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Fast Food Films. <laughs> that took me all five minutes to put together, and most of that was render time. We'll come up with something Ooh. better, I swear. Um, but at the moment, that's all we'll have. <laughs> this week, we'll be talking about Stargate. An international, uh, international, an international teleportation device. An interstellar teleportation device is found in Egypt, which leads to a planet with humans resembling ancient Egyptians who worship the god Ra. Can Daniel Jackson and his team stop the malevolent god before he can... Wreck the planets with the quadria or whatever it is, aquador. Yeah, yeah, the because the quadria is like the more powerful version of aquador. It's like kind of like helium three in comparison to helium. Yeah. Now we get we're, we're geeking. We haven't even got two minutes in. You know that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so um, uh, is that is that is that is that your intro? Or... That's why that's my intro. I thought I'd be quick and to the point. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, yes, we're talking about that film, you know, about a gate, Stargate that you go through. What's the name of the film again? It's a big round <laughs> Stargate, isn't it? If big, big, big round Stargate. That thing they go through. What was that series called? Um, if you don't, if you don't know what we're quoting, go back and look at our podcast because Nigel came up with a classic, and it's part of the reason why we're doing it, and also because it's one of my favourite films. I love this film um, because it also spawned. One of my favorite TV series, or three of my favorite TV series, really, um, which was SG1, uh, Atlantis, and uh, then what's his face at the end? Universe. Um, which I forget. Universe, Stargate Universe. Um, and series, too. Um, but this was the film that started it all. Um, and actually, the, it, this is another Roman, Roland Emmerich film. This is arguably the film that launched him into sort of like big budget blockbuster films and you know where he became king of the fast food movies um because before that i think his previous film was universal soldier with john claude van damme so this was his first sort of big budget blockbuster although it was never expected to make as much money as it did it was never it wasn't made in a true blockbuster film style because Let's face it, some of the effects are a bit ropey in this. Even at the time, they were a bit ropey. Um, but it, it's a good story. Now, uh, if you listen to our main podcast, you will know that we hate critics. And unsurprisingly, the critics did not like this film. But the cinema goers did. And in actual fact, it broke the uh, what the Americans call the fall um uh blocks office record for having the uh, highest grossing um opening weekend in actual fact that record had been beaten in september and in no and december so but for the month of october it had the highest grossing um opening weekend of all time and nobody expected to do it and in actual fact when when this film was first made i'll go i'll sort of go over this bit first and we'll go into the story and then I'll go through some facts afterwards but this is quite interesting this film was made without any major studios involved in the actual making of the film it was only after the film was made that they then started ship shopping it to people and eventually MGM agreed to release the fil film under the MGM banner because they had no big films for that sort of period until Christmas so they agreed to do it as a result of the agreement that they that Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin signed with them, they kind of lost control to the rights of the Stargate world. Um, and hence, SG-1 and all these others were born. But we'll get into that more later. Um, first off, as Gareth said, he's sort of gone through the, the plot. Um, to me, this has probably the best act one of any fast food movie. I think it's even better than, than Independence Day. Are you, talking you, about, are you talking about the, they start up the Stargate? Yeah, the bit until they go through the gate, that first sort of 20 minutes of the film where they, I mean, you know, 
at the beginning you see the gate, but you have no fucking idea what it is, right? You just see them digging up this weird looking circle thing out of the Egyptian desert. And then you don't see it again until it's all hooked up to these, you know, great big sort of electric delivering arms and stuff. And you don't see that until near near the end of the first act. And you and I just love that sort of reveal, and I like how James Spader's well, um, the, 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 the reveal of the Stargate actually happened before then, when they're digging it up in Egypt. Yes, I said that. That you do see the Stargate, but you don't know what it is. You don't, you know, nope. if you don't, if you don't watch the trailers for this movie, you just go in, you know, not knowing really what this film is about, other than the fact it's called the Stargate. Um, you kind of guess that it's a Stargate, but you don't know much about what it is or how it works. So that that initial reveal is is epic, and yes, yeah, this epic. is the first fact version. So I love it, this. this it, 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 yeah, you're right. It is epic because when they they, they switch it on, because you don't know if it's going to work or not, and yeah. uh, it is um, it is so cool because the first time they start up, it's just like they found this ancient thing, and then uh, it, it, it works. They are ancient aliens, according to the the, his, the history channel of all channels. What, the, the way that I mean, what was so clever about this film? What was so clever about the story is, you know, people for years have speculated that the pyramids have been built by aliens, and they really sort of um, go into this in this film. And you know, they bring a bit of sort of who, who doesn't like a, a you know good ancient Egyptian um, documentary and stuff like that, and that combined with the sci-fi world. It, it it was awesome. I mean, it was just such a clever idea, and yeah, this this scene when they first switch it on, and you know, and everything starts shaking as you see here, and yeah, it's it's really quite uh, dramatic and tense. And I, other, I just love this first act. I was going to say the only other scene in the other any any other movies that this compares to is the reveal of the UFOs over all the cities in Independence Day. Which we've already covered. Right. I'm right. it up. End, end, end of the first act. Is that yeah. brilliant? It, it's Roland Emmerich is very good at first acts. I think. I mean, certainly in Independence Day and in this, this. I mean, just the whole. Just, oh, I love it. I loved it. Um, but here's the thing, right? And and this is something I don't understand. There is a director's cut out there. Yep, I've seen it. And the director's got... cut makes it's a bit like the director's version of Batman versus uh, Superman. It might, it might be still a shit film, but that film, when you see the director's cut, makes sense. When you see the director's cut of SG1, you understand why they take the bomb through. Because if you see the cinematic re re um, release of this film, it's like well, why were they expecting there to be hostile aliens? What what was going through their heads? What what you know? How what intelligence did they have? How did they know? You don't just sort of take a nuclear bomb through a freaking um, gate to another planet, you know, on the off chance that you might meet some hostile aliens. What what you know? What possesses them? And there are two, and they're literally. I think it's about two or three minutes of extra scenes. But the first scene is when they're digging up the gate right at the beginning. Um, and uh, you could argue that this scene could have been cut out, but the second scene was absolutely critical, in my opinion. But the first scene, you could argue, uh, because it, it does give you more of a hint that there's aliens involved, because when the gate gets lifted out, underneath is a fossilized version of one of the, the Ra's soldiers, effectively, and you see it briefly. Um, although you don't really... It just looks like an Egyptian, um, you know... What's yeah. his face? The dogs. Um, the second scene when they're both sitting there talking about it and they're going, you know, they are, they actually say this isn't, you know, these these are are they hostile? Blah blah blah. And insinuating they're aliens when actually they're not. There's only one alien in this. Um, but that's again a critical scene as to why O'Neill and and West send the the new the new device with them. And that's I don't understand why that scene was cut. I could. I could understand why the first one was cut, but not the second one. The second you know, one just, just adds so much. There was also another scene that was cut, which I made me stick. It was really stuck out in my mind. Was the um, the scene where they they've landed on the planet, and Daniel Jackson's trying to figure out why he um, how to get back, and then the yeah. soldiers get annoyed at him and start throwing their luggage at him. 
Do you remember yeah. that scene? There's a bit in there just yeah. before where you've got the guy from Third Rock from the Sun, uh, kind yes. of Harry or something, and he's explaining how the Stargate works. He turns around, he goes, if you don't dial the right combination, it can pop you out in the middle of space, in the middle of nowhere, yeah? It has to have another gate to connect to. So you have to make sure that we dial a gate that matches the addresses and stuff, which then sets up SG-1, but wasn't in the film. And it's weird well, because that, the, yeah. that bit is not color graded. <laughs> When he put it in the no, film, no. so you watch it and it's blatantly not color graded. It's really bizarre. This was never conceived as a single movie. It was conceived as a trilogy. Okay, and 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 Roland Emmerich at the time said said this was going to be this was like a trilogy. It was always meant to be a trilogy. The second film was meant to deal with something completely different to ancient Egypt. There was going to be another gate um, because the idea was, or the basic premise was that. That for some reason, Daniel Jackson was going to return to Earth 12 years later. And um, and then he was going to unearth an existence of a second gate, which SG-1 later used as an idea. But there was a second gate on Earth because the idea was that Ra bought that gate to Earth like he did in SG-1. Mm -hmm. um, and then they were going to deal with a completely different uh, mythology, i.e. not ancient Egyptian. But then the third film was going to connect all of Earth's sort of mythologies, like the Mayans and things like that. The rumor was they were going to do the Mayans and all the other sort of ancient races on Earth. And there was going to be something that was never spotted before that connected all of them. Um, and there were going to be other raw aliens out there. They were going to be the big bad, but they were going to be out, you know, out there. And there was this entire thing. And after the sort of Stargate TV franchise finished, um, MGM did sort of start, developing these movies again with Ronan and Emery, but then they kind of got stalled in 2016 and uh, never saw the light of day, which is actually a shame because I would have liked to have seen his vision for the, the, those movies. And it wouldn't have minded if it wasn't connected to SG-1 because SG-1 rewrote quite a lot of the rules from the film. I.e., they made go Ra was a was was they made a go old, but in in the film he is a full being, not just a worm parasite. Um, the gate changed obviously because you then got the, the sexy red lights on the gate, which you didn't have in the original um, film, and there were numerous other changes. Obviously, acting changes. O'Neill's character is arguably completely different, but I did utterly love Richard Dean Anderson as. Um, as General O'Neill in Stargate History 1, it was one of the best things about it. He brought good humour to that that show. Um, and later on, Ben Bowder did a very good job of taking over. Um, it was genius that they put ben, brought ben Bowder and What's-Her-Face in together to sort of, you know, get that far. Yeah, but they played the opposite did work. They played the opposite characters to what they were in Farscape. You had yes, Ben Bowder's character as the stiff military one, and then her as the, the the wacky adventurer who do but magic. it worked but it it, it worked um but well, well i mean we'll get back on to sg1 but it was it was it was interesting i would like to have seen a own emmerich sort of sequel to this um because yeah i i i i have a very fond sort of uh attachment to this film i love it i do i went to see it with my mum and dad you know that Stargate kind of ripped off something from Doctor Who, don't you? Yeah, it's been accused of ripping off something from some school person as well. <laughs> this is this is Doctor Who Pyramids of Mars, yeah? It, to which yeah. they didn't have the robotic mummies. And I will uh, give them that. They didn't have the robotic mummies, yeah? But when you watch it, it's like kind of... If I've got the clip right, please say I've got the collective bloody clip right. You've got... Da, 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 sorry, hang on a second. There we go, so... They all kind of worship the god. Oh, look, there's a, there's a, like a Stargate thing, isn't it? Okay, it's not as cool. A little bit. Uh, it's not as cool. And then you've no, got the ancient god. Not as cool. Uh, you've got the ancient god. It's clever. Clever. And then you've got the ancient god, like Ra person come through. I can't remember his name's like Set. I don't know if he's Set or whatever. And uh, yeah. So you've got the people, you've got the, the people mistaking gods for aliens, etc. And this was done. This is the thing: is that that, that um... oh, it certainly borrowed ideas. But then most sci-fi these days borrows ideas, you know, uh, or, yeah. or re, re, I, I don't rehashes want, I don't, concepts. I don't want classic Doctor Who not getting a, a nod for for its. No, I'll give you that. 
I'll give you that. Um, I didn't. I didn't have that in my notes, but I because that didn't come up. But yeah, that's fair enough. You did. Oh, you didn't um, do research properly. Oh. oh, I did do quite a lot of research. Um, so um, yes. Yeah, so we have the we have uh, the uh, sort of like you know they arrive this Act Two, which is all about sort of discovering where they are, and then towards they go off to the the they discover like this slave sort of mine where all these people are work working and digging and here's here's another uh, information for you so some of those shots were shot on the first day of shooting right and um, specifically where you see hundreds of extras moving you know that was shot on day one want to know why because the filming conditions were so bad that most of the extras because they had over a thousand extras uh didn't turn up for day two of filming and they couldn't persuade other extras to come in so where you see them all gathering around the soldiers about 75% of those are mannequins. Hey, hey, it worked for Chris Nolan for... Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Um, mannequins in. But, uh, yeah, there was mannequins, a lot of mannequins in, the, in those scenes. But then they, they go off to the city and then Ra's spaceship, which, again, you know, looks different to what was in SG-1, um, but lands on the pyramid, you know, and all the fucking UFO nutters just went <gasps> like that, um, you know, and all had all had an ejaculation because you know <gasps> I knew they were landing fucking mass. And it's great because it plays into that so well. Um, and then you 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 finally meet the very effeminate Ra, and there's that. It's oh, there's some interesting crying, stuff about this guy. Sorry, it's a guy from the crying game. Uh, right, okay. So, the actor in question is called Jay Davidson, right? And he quit acting after this particular right. It, yes, it was in the crying game. Um, he was in, but he, he supposedly quit acting. Um, although he has since acted in other roles but the, but stargate was his last movie even though it's not listed as such an imdb it was because he couldn't remember his lines um he had nipple rings which he just had put in so he wasn't able to appear bare-chested which is what the costume want you know what was was meant to be um and uh he was notoriously difficult on stage he's a very odd fellow um he famously gave an interview uh, later on where he came out as gay, but said he had found it very hard to find partners because gay people like butch men and he wasn't very butch. Uh, in fact, he said he was a very effeminate person, um, which he does look quite effeminate in this. Um, he since has butched up and his entire body is now tattooed. Literally, from neck down, everything is tattooed. If you see a picture of him nowadays, yeah. very odd. Very, very strange chap. And, you know, you you listen to what Hollywood speaks, say, um, about him. Uh, apparently, he was a bit of a dick <laughs> on, on um, uh, set. On set. So, yeah, it's the... <laughs> but the, there's another scene here, which a lot of people have... Well, here, where you see a lot of scantily clad children and Roland Emmerich has since come out because you know in this day and age, um, people are going to have an issue with this. But it it was done on purpose to make you feel uneasy because when you see that, you do feel a bit uneasy because they're kind of wearing princess. They very particularly sort of used Leia's slave girl costume as as a as an influence here and it was done completely on purpose to make you feel uneasy because you look at that it does kind of make you feel uneasy i mean the strange looking kids all of them were picked out all pretty much naked um surrounding a, him it was done it was entirely a, done on purpose touch of children of the corn feeling yes to it. It, yeah it was entirely entirely on purpose and it, and it it very much works yeah see there you go they've got that 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 that, that vacant look um, mm. And then there's the human shield aspect of it too. Yes, where they do because, the thing. to Transformers. This is where they that whole thing kind of yeah. comes. We got all the. Well, that actually, thing. that came from the Batmobile. The first people to do that effect was the Batmobile in 1989. But look, um, because the bat the bat the Batmobile car has a shield that does the same fucking thing. 
Um, and then I thought, oh, you could put that on a spaceship. I had that idea. Yes, right? you said I thought, that. You could put that on a spaceship. And then long. fucking Voyager two years later. <laughs> oh, my idea, you bastards. <laughs> um, but it is very cool effect. It is, a, it is a very cool effect. And that's what makes it. Okay, yeah, and this is where he goes to shoot him, isn't it? And uh, you get this, uh, the kids all just jump around him. Again, making you feel very easy. Daniel Jackson gets, uh, and this is where you get sort of introduced to the idea of the, the, the regeneration sort of sarcophagus. Um, that, seriously, that one of those kids looks a bit like... Sarcophagus was also in Doctor Who too. That yes, I know. Um, uh, I, I, I'm aware of it, and yeah, this is where he and then he puts him in the sarcophagus and regenerates him, and then they escape, and then they come back, um, and they get traps, and then there's another fight scene, and just when you think all is over, the slaves revolt. But again, Roland Emmerich, um, don't know if you noticed, right? Roland Emmerich seems to have a problem with the concept of time, right? So basically, um. Uh, General O'Neill uh, uh, decides to blow up, um, you know, destroy everything, and but let Daniel Jackson and the others get back before he does it. He's going to take out the spaceship, and so he starts the countdown. Just at that point, Daniel's uh, Daniel Jackson's bit of fluff um, gets shot, so he has he wants to rescue her. So he take he goes into the ship. Um, right, right, hang on, hang on. Before you, right, right. Hold on, hold on. You do know that timers in movies, yeah, are based on drama, and this was illustrated best in the. Oh yeah. Film, hang on a second. It was illustrated best in the film Galaxy Quest. You remember in Galaxy yes. Quest because it stopped yes. on minus the one because that's what happened. But that right. was Galaxy Quest was taking the piss out of because. Roland Emmerich seems to be an absolute. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Since then, like Need for Speed, not Need for Speed. Um, what's his face? Fast and the Furious, which had like a twenty-two mile runway. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, because I had like this five-minute-long fight on a runway, which some fucking clever dick worked out how Just, fast the plane was going. And it's like the world's longest oh, runway. Hold on. Fast and the Furious. One thing I love about that movie is they made out that cars somehow could keep a plane down rather than the plane yanking them all off the ground and into the sky. <laughs> I love that. It oh, yeah, like, that's not even good. Do you think you got downfall? That plane's got fucking 18 times the fucking lift of your downforce combined. But, 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 but Roland Emmerich, I mean, he's, he, he's, he's, he's a master of doing it. Don't get me wrong. And that is arguable. Again, again it, it's a lot. It's a two-minute one, not a sort of like 30 seconds that turns into two minutes in Independence Day. This is two minutes that turns into five days. But this is what happens. In this, so I explain, I'll set it up. So basically, the bomb's about to, you know, the, bo the bomb is, um, uh, he set the bomb. And he goes to turn the bomb off when he realizes that Daniel Jackson's got to save his girlfriend. Um, and, he and he realizes that Ra's dicked with it. And and he can't turn off the time, so he's like, "You've got like seven minutes." So Daniel Jackson manages to get up into the ship, resurrect to his girlfriend, bring her back, and then we've got one minute and fifty-seven seconds, right? And in this one minute and fifty-seven seconds, the entire slaves revolt, right? <laughs> and you get this entire scene where they come running over the mountain, over the sand dunes, which is really really cool. Aren't you've got the lead running down, the going, ah, like aren't they doing that yeah. at the same time? No, this starts because at one minute 57, Mark, where you see it on the thing, um, Kowalski and all these guys are still in the middle. I've just, I literally just finished watching it and I made a note of this because I thought this was funny. Um, and they're all in the middle. Then the ships, uh, Kowalski jumps out and surrenders. The ships land, right? They walk over, and if you look, the ships are parked on the horizon because they couldn't be they couldn't afford to build a full model of one of those kinders. So their little models parked off in the distance. So they walked all the way down to the to the thing, right? Then the slaves revolt, right? Then, because Ra realizes it, he manages to get his spaceship, take off, and that takeoff is like 15 to 20 seconds. And then the next thing you see is in fucking orbit of the planet. Then, then the two-minute timer has about 20 seconds left on it, right? And he puts it in the really cool rings transportation device, and it gets beamed up, and then, the, then it all explodes. That is about five minutes, but a lot happens in that one minute, 57 seconds. A fucking lot. <laughs> and it's brilliant. 
And this is the bit before. This is before yes, Shuri is, gets shot. This is this is the bit where they get trapped. Of the clip. Um, um, so but, it, I mean, don't, look, I, I, I'm joking aside because it doesn't matter. And you are right because there is a lot of drama in that one point. So, and and I love the bit where where they they finally do revolt and they appear on the sort of the top of the dune and he comes running down with that that, that stick and he whacks one of them around the head. Um, I mean, it's brilliant. Um. And, and and I love it, and I love that scene. And then you know, there's a real sort of tearjerker afterwards where they all salute, and it's it's you know, it's it's designed to be a bit like that. But again, it, it's fine. It gets the feels. It you know, it has all the feels. Um, and then the and the and then obviously Daniel Jackson stays with his with this lovely beautiful girl, and uh, they go back through the Stargate. Um, but it was not was never designed to be the end. That was a uh, that was only the beginning. Now, as we always do in this, there is a continue, continuous, there's quite a few, but there's a major one. <laughs> right? Just before Daniel Jackson goes through the gate, Catherine gives him the, the raw pendant, right? Yeah. And then as Daniel Jackson is standing on the gate, he's got the raw pendant on, right? Mm -hmm. Then it cuts back to a shot of Catherine, who is wearing the raw pendant. <laughs> and not only once... It's three separate shots of her. All after she's given it to Daniel Jackson, she's still got the raw pendant on. Okay. You can see the chain. You can see the chain. You can see the chain. It's there. It's, it's genuine. Um, she's so, got it on. It's, it's not a bad uh, one, but it, it's there. They're, they're worth continuity. There are like massive plot holes in it. Um, so that's uh, that's, that's what this right, but that this is a fast food movie, so we we don't we don't we don't you know, yes, there are plot holes in everything, there's massive plot holes in Independence Day. There was massive plot, but we love Independence Day and we love I this. Just, film. I just want to mention the Death Glider because, um, my dad who loves flight sims got uh, a mod for it so he could have the Death Glider from Stargate in it, and it's great because if you pump up the acceleration, you break orbit. The thing just goes, it goes into orbit. <laughs> you just sit there, and it's like you can just have it normal, and it's flying around like you would have on on the thing, and then all of a sudden just hit the accelerator and off it. Just see straight. again, again, though the, the death gliders that you see in Star in the original film have open cockpits, whereas the ones in SG One they decided well they would be really cool space fighters, so they built proper cockpits for them, but they are open air. In, in the original film, because this is again a, a difference between the series and 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 the and the film. I mean, don't yeah. get me. I think both can exist, but Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin famously hated the TV series because they hated the because they wanted to make their movies and they and control was taken away from them, which was unfair because it made MGM a lot of money. Um, it made far more money than it was expected. I mean, it was made for a very modest fifty five million, which you know, considering what what they did and some of the sets that they had to build, because there was no soundstage large enough to fit that sound, the stage of the ship in. They had to go and do it some in some huge aircraft hangar, the same one that the Spruce Goose was built in. That's how large. They, they had to rent that to build the sets for this. So considering that it, it was a very modest 55 million, okay, some of the effects are ropey because they spent the money in other places. And, and you can tell, I mean, some of those sets were incredible. Um, one of the it, best it made just shy of 200, hang on, 100. Hang on. One of the best shots they had in that film is when they leave the temple and you have the wide thing and you get to see the pyramid. That is that shot is gorgeous. Well, you've got yes. the you've got the pyramid and you can see it from a distance. And I don't know if it's a, a matte painting or real or whatever, it looks absolutely brilliant. And the, the reveal of the pyramid when they first, I love the. I love the bit where they're walking down the steps and, and the camera angles are purposely sort of shot from above. Um, and then suddenly you get this low camera angle and there's this great big pyramid behind them. And that, that was awesome. Again, awesome because you didn't you kind of didn't expect it. Um, and I love that. I remember seeing that in the cinema going cool like that. I was like this 14-year-old kid who was just getting into sci-fi and this thing was awesome. Did you say 14-year-old kid? 14 year old kid i was 14 when this movie came out i remember going to see i remember going to see it with my mum and dad it was 
we went to see we went to see it was a family film outing which was a very rare thing we went all went to see this film we i, I loved it, it was really good fun my, um, my my parents went and watched it so my mom and dad watched it and my dad came back and went it's really good i really enjoyed the hell out of that um yeah. so it, it was there was some there's uh, there's some bits in there like there's the there's the alien that because you were talking about earlier where the alien that invades the the kid it isn't the same as the ones you get in the TV series. It's not a, it's not a snake-like parasite. It's a full-blown... It looks like a grey yeah. alien with teeth, I think is the best way of describing yes. um, Which yes. kind of fits back into that UFO conspiracy, conspiracy thing where it kind of invades the, the guy's guy's body and whatnot. That was cool. Um, <laughs> sorry, Tanis says that she, she thought you said 42. Um, sorry, I'll, I, the microphone might be good. 14 year old kid, 14, 14 year old kid. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but that thing with uh, the what do you call it, uh, with the with the parasite invading was was really kind of cool. And it was like, I really wanted to see the alien itself, um, because it was just it was just one of those curiosity things. Maybe it exists somewhere in a cut somewhere along the line. I know you get a I shot of the face of the alien because yeah, it blows up, the ship explodes, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, I think they covered it in Stargate One because they said there was another life form that was a bit more hardy. Um, it was a bit stronger, which the, the parasite then took into, which I thought was quite cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, it was really good. I, it, outside Doctor Who, I hadn't seen anything like that. No, it was unique. So it was it, it was unique, and again, I, I, I the thing was right. I would love to have seen their films in one form or another that the other two films that they were planning to make but at the same time sg1 was really good um i mean you know there was a lot uh, uh, because I, it was a 22 episode thing there was a lot of dead episodes in the first couple of I, seasons but i think when i watched stargate sg1 i think i am um, until they got rid of uh apophis when they got rid of him as a bad guy and they replaced him with people like anubis and like kind of all the others that's for me when it got interesting um, it was a, well, bit, a bit clanky otherwise. There was an interesting thing because the pilot episode, right? Have you seen the original pilot episode or the cut version of the pilot episode? Do you know what I'm referring to here? This is the one where they go to, to um, uh, Teok's home right. the, the, So, So SG-1, the original pilot, was very much an 18 um, and it was meant to be adult related, and there is a hell of a lot of nudity in it. Um, because when um, uh, when um, Shuri is 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 you know infected by the Gowold, she's lying on the table, and she is butt naked, and it is full on um, you know completely naked, full-on shots, and she gets cut open. There's another couple of scenes there. There's some swearing in it. Um, there's a lot more adult thing. And they changed that. Um, I, I, it, they were, they were, in. they changed it and they sort of softened it up. And I don't know, I think it could have been quite interesting if they'd gone, not just having the nudity kind of thing, but you know what I mean, going slightly down the adult route and getting it a bit more horror-like and gory, but I loved SG-1. I I, I, I loved Atlantis. Um, I, like I, 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 all of them, I know you liked... I know that you liked Universe. I thought Universe made... Universe was a good show, but I think they needed... They shouldn't have cancelled Atlantis and gone straight into Universe because they completely changed the mood in universe and they made it very downbeat and the thing about star stargate was and this is why i don't like discovery and part of the reason i don't like star trek is is it was hopeful and they didn't have that in universe and they kept bringing o'neill into it in universe and he was the only funny thing in about it and, it, and it, he kind of didn't fit in universe because universe was just so downtrodden um but I would have liked to have seen where it got where it was going. But I was really pissed off when they cancelled Atlantis because I, I don't know. I don't know which one I prefer. I like both of them equally. I think because I think Atlantis had lots of interesting concepts that managed to take it away from SG One. Um, but I loved SG One as well. Um, I think there was 
a few, as I said, a few ropey episodes at the beginning. Um, but there was a lot of good episodes as well. Um, after Apophis went, yeah, Anubis was a much more interesting bad guy. I, I did. Uh, just uh, just point out, we've got uh, sorry, we've got people, we've got a couple of people in the chat. We've got a guy called um, Gloin the Hobbit, I think he is, um, and, and and he said the following: uh, I disagree. The version that was on Showtime, which I think was the first couple of seasons before it moved up, moved over to Sci-Fi, uh, was better. Uh, and then his answer. I... Hang on a second. Hang on. His answer in relation yeah. to what you said was, "You get to see yeah. boobies." Yeah, no, he's right. There was, there was, there was a lot of boobies in 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 in, in, in the first episode. He's absolutely right. Um, that version you can you can get. I think the third season I'm started to, getting I'm gonna have really, to find really that good. Version. I'm gonna, I, I've got, I've got to check to see if I can watch Stargate somewhere because I bought the entire season of, of Stargate. Sorry, the entire series of Stargate Atlantis on on Amazon to watch because I think it did over last summer when I had nothing to watch. So I might go back and do I'll do the same for Stargate. Uh, because I, when it went over to sci-fi, sci-fi cut it all down so that they could syndicate the whole lot. Um, but yeah, I'd forgotten it was on Showtime, so thanks for that, buddy. Um, but yeah, he's right. You get to see boobies. But I yeah. think there are... Now, it's been a long while, so I could be wrong here. But I, I seem to remember the first season of FG1... There were a few. I'm not. I don't know. Uh, they seem to go. Uh, the, their budget dropped. I think they spent a lot of money in the first few episodes. So a lot of planets ended up looking the same because they were all in va- filmed in Vancouver, um, and they were always in forests. They, they always um, filmed in that same patch of forest. Yeah, in, and, in, in uh, all that's what I'm. Even the universe did it at one point. Yeah, that that's yeah. what I mean. And 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 by the third season, they got a much heftier budget. Um, and therefore, things started looking better. But you see, I understand why Tanith says here she didn't like Universe. I think if Atlantis had still been on, Universe would have done better because you would have had that that antidote to Universe's downbeat thing, Do you and you would have watched Universe because you're a Stargate fan. The Universe one was we need to. Well, oh, this is a much bigger. This is a bigger topic than than the Stargate yeah. film. And we need a lot more time. Yeah, to is. And we might have to do another one on this. Um, yeah. Separate on this, maybe a special. Because there's so much to unpack. Because they did loads. The amount of Stargates that they did was ridiculous. Apart from they did get a world record from, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Guinness Book of World Records for the longest running TV series. Which they then had to hand back because they realized they got it wrong. And it was Doctor Who was the longest running TV series. Um which was so annoying. Episodes, I think, was 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 the most amount of consecutive episodes. Um, yeah, we do have to go through it, but we just just go back to the film because we had. Yes, so I've I've got my interesting facts around so the film. So was, yeah, you're right. So you had you had, you had your you thing Devil and Standing, which was because um, this is the thing you notice in the thing. If you if you watch um, Independence Day and Godzilla and mm-hmm. uh, Stargate. There is a major Jack O'Neill in all three films. Yes. Yeah, there's a major Jack O'Neill yeah. in all three films. And then there's also a specky nerd in all three films. Yes, Gold, there is. Yeah. Spider and um, oh, Broderick, right? Yes. Like, and, so- I mean, really, actors, he got the, the actors' actors to play the nerds, you know, and they were all very interesting actors. Um, especially uh, Goldblum and and um, James yeah. Spader. I mean, but you go you go back to the characters because the, these were the days when you actually kind of rounded off characters and you gave them gave them something to work with, and and when you got to like the Jack O'Neill character, you had uh, the accidental gun death of his kid, which is mm-hmm. at the time in the nineties that was quite a heavy topic to cover um, with accidental gun deaths because it's like kind of. Statistically, if you're in a pool, you're more likely to drown in a pool than you are to get shot by your own gun. But there were a, a lot of things about people who own their own guns getting getting shot at that time in the 90s. I don't know if that's true now, because um, maybe there was things that, that people learned from that. Um, but they had that was quite heavy. And then you had Daniel Jackson, where he was just nobody was taking him seriously. And he had that conference and everybody walked out apart from that one guy who then came and talked to him, which was really nice. We just come there listening to him chatting away and everything like that. Um, so you kind of had those bits, those bits there. So you had those two characters I, kind of grounded 
with some kind of character building thing because other characters kind of fucking miss that shit. But there's, it's interesting because uh, I've got some I've got some facts around this, and we 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 do have to slightly cover uh, SG one again, but I'll I'll go into it. So, um, as I said earlier, the, the film was largely made independent of, of of the studio because this was while Ronan Emmerich wasn't yet a sort of mainstream movie maker, and he has since because of the fallout of him not being able to make these these Stargate movies, he's now refusing to make big budget films. Um, because he wants to work independent of studios. He feels like he's been screwed over by studios. And it was the, the fact that in 2014 that, that the studio were like, oh, we we're going to do it. And then because the studio just kept getting involved and involved and involved and, and it just stalled by 2016. So that's a, um, a thing. And, I, and and this is one of the main reasons why Ronan, um, Ronan didn't like um, SG-1. Anyway, um, James Spader, uh, who is... Uh, we. Yeah. Yeah, he's very gone. He's Sorry, very I, good in this. I just, I just had a quick look at the IMDb page, yeah. And apparently, when um, the alien takes control of the boy, there's a sound effect, yeah. And they they stripped out James Brown's screaming from "I Feel Good" for the sound effect. Yeah, I had that. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> um, I just, I just had a quick I, I know where you get your notes from, so I thought I'd have. A no, quick... I don't get everything from IMDb. I, those, those, those. Um, I, I read I read quite a long article about how they uh, lost control of it and how it was made, which was really quite interesting. But I didn't want to bore people with, with a lot of it, so I, I, I left most of it out. But it is very interesting. But James Spader did not uh, like the script. In fact, he thought the script was terrible, um, and he was really just cashing a paycheck. But I thought he was very good in this film. I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I enjoyed it. Wrong with actors saying I did it for the money. No, there's nothing wrong I, with it. What do I, do? I I do work. What do I do it for? Do I do it for the love of the job? No, I do it for the fucking money. That's perfectly acceptable. But I mean, you know, one of one of the things that that, that was in this film that was taken over to SG One was the glowing eyes. Now, the glowing eyes came around yeah. because the when the film was initially tested in front of test audiences, it really didn't do well. And one of the reasons was that people did not realize that Ra was an alien. So as an after effect, as a way to sort of symbolize, this guy's an alien, was they put the glowing eyes in. This was an idea, a concept after the initial test uh, screenings of it. They put the glowing eyes in to make sure the audience is new. This guy is a... Um, uh, you're going to get a slap later disagreeing with your wife. Yeah, yeah, you like to live dangerously. Uh, okay, it's like poking a fucking tiger with a stick. You only do it Jeez, so much. I, I love um, stuff. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, the glowing eyes were added in as a as a, an afterthought to, and then it started testing considerably better. There were a few other little changes, but one of the major things was the glowing eyes. Um, this was the first movie, believe it or not, to have its own dedicated website. No, the first now, every movie. website was Sneakers. Nope. SG-1. Uh, Stargate. That's what it says. That's the fact. I found that on about five different websites. I'm sure it was Sneakers. It wasn't Sneakers after after this. I'm going to have to have a look now. No, no, no. It's talking about when the website went up. It wasn't Sneakers after this. One of the reasons it had a website was the way it was funded. Because he he got he 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 got producers to, because it wasn't studio backed. Well, according to everyone, this was the first one to have its own dedicated website. Those are the facts. I found I'm arguing with them. The facts if sneakers had it first. And Google I remember, it because everyone was fair over the fact that it had its own website. Now, um, this confirm it, but this is this is what I found. Um. So we we cover quite a lot of the facts, and you stole the one about bloody James Brown. Um, here's the thing, right? Like a lot of Roland Emmerich films, the score to this this film, which to me is probably the best score out of all of Roland Emmerich's films, I can love the the score. I mean, the the, the opening scene always got me, and 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 SG One kind of copied the movie, but they they changed the theme slightly. They they re recomposed it. I think I can but, say like about sg1 was that kind of maybe one of the reasons i 
didn't I didn't like it up until a certain point was because of that opening title thing where they're going through and they're showing off the statue and I, I, yeah. I went to the gate and little bits of action kind of just made me feel that something exciting was about to happen and the other one kind yeah. of it felt very separate from it it's not like if you like it you like it but you know I think it was meant to it was meant to you connect you to the movie. Um, although the theme is the theme is the same theme, but it's it's composed very differently if you listen to them. Because when SG One brought that straight to DVD movie out, Arc of Truth, right? Their first movie, mm-hmm. they use the original movie theme in that, and it's it's different in Arc of Truth. It's the original movie theme, whereas it's a bit faster tempo, I believe, in the TV series. Anyway, I love that opening scene, and it was by a guy called David Arnold. And we know who David Arnold oh, is yeah, because he, but this is an interesting job. thing. When this film was being made, David Arnold wasn't a movie composer. In fact, he'd done a few short films, but he hadn't really made any money. And so he was working as a clerk in a record store in London. And uh, what the fuck? Uh, he... No, no, yes. no, no. Hang on a second. No, 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 no. Did he have a part-time job on a Saturday in the thingy? No, he was working as a thing because he hadn't really done any major composing. SG One was his as a Stargate was his first major gig. If you look at his, uh, he'd done a few shorts here and there, but he he wasn't making it. So he was working as a as a clerk in a record store. And yeah, okay, he was doing little bits of composing. It was a part-time job, but he was working as a clerk in a record store. Right, that that's true. And Roland Emmerich famously. So, but this guy's done no real work. He's never done a movie. He's, you know, he's not even done a TV episode. He's done a few short films here and there. And he works as a clerk in a record store. He famously said this. And then Arnold came and played him that, that theme tune from the beer. And Emmerich just loved it. And ever since then, Emmerich used him in uh, Independence Day, Godzilla, and a few other of his movies. And uh, they've had a relationship since Stargate. But it was SG, uh, Stargate that, that got him out the... Uh, Okay, and to me, arguably, it's a brilliant soundtrack. I love Stargate soundtrack. I love that theme at the beginning. It just, it just it's, it's, it's one of those really good movie school themes. That sticks out. So, yeah, we, I think we had a conversation about how um, movies don't have definitive music like it used to. I think the last thing it was like Harry Potter, and I'm, I was arguing with you that the, that some do like the Avengers thing. Yeah. Yes. existed. I think we had this argument on the podcast when we did it last, because the Avengers theme's quite distinct and that. But during the nineties, you did have some quite distinct bits well the seventies yeah. to nineties. You did have some really good distinct bits of music. And I agree because I, 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 I love movie scores. I've got like I've got a got a Spotify playlist that would take you about twenty two hours to play through. Um because of all the, the movie themes that I've got here. I'm a big big fan of it. And we we we've talked a lot on podcasts, the use of music, and there are not a lot of directors out there these days that 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 really use the music or or put it the importance of music, especially when you're doing continuing films. One of the most jarring things about the newer Spider-Man, not not the Marvel Spider-Man, but the sort of the uh, the middle Spider-Man movies, should we say, was that the first uh, film has quite a good score. They then uh, brought Hans Zimmer in for the second film, and he completely changed the theme. And uh, Hang on, are we talking about Tobey Maguire or what's his most Garfield? No, we're talking about the. Andrew Garfield, because Tony Maguire has the same thing. It doesn't count. No, but I'm using it as an example of how you know a lot of people don't don't see the importance in music. And you say that in Harry Potter, yeah, Harry Potter kept on to that continuing theme, but the music changes massively throughout Harry Potter because obviously they had different composers, but they did at least hold on to Williams theme throughout. One of the best movie scores which if you take away from the movie actually detracts from the movie is is 2009's Tron Legacy yes that the music in that helps make the film if you remove the music from it the Daft Punk soundtrack the film the the use of music and sound I mean Dunkirk we've we've talked about it the the, the music it's it's a character it's having an anxiety the music adds to that it's got the ticking clock and whatnot yeah and you i swear to god my heart goes in time with the ticking clock 
<laughs> and that clock is ticking quite bloody quickly in that thing. But the, uh, I mean, I love the Avengers theme, but he he famously did not use it in the second film, and you don't hear it until the end credits, which is really stupid. Yeah, um, that's that's we know. And you're 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 right because the Avengers theme is awesome, um, and there's, there's, there's that annoys jokes, me. That Marvel's not been good with music. There's jokes on the internet that it the Avengers theme goes with anything. Yeah, so when you have like any scene in any film, yeah, go go to YouTube and look up the Avengers theme goes with anything. Yeah, and they have like any scenes like you can have like a Batman movie. Yeah, and it's like the bit where they turn around and they fight um, in the third one um, with Bane, and you've got the cops, and it plays the the, 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 the and then they fight, and it goes, it literally goes with anything. It's that it's that pliable bit of music. But but getting back to Stargate. You, you, you just brought something out. You, you've just brought something out. You just mentioned Bane. I've got to tell you a funny story. Um, I, I know in the UK it's now mandatory to wear masks when you're on public transport. But where I live, the minute you set out the front door, you have to have a mask on. My wife has got one of these sort of black ones, but it's got one of these air filter things, and she just looks like fucking Bane. And so every time she puts on the mask, it's like, darling, please go. Now you have my permission to die. <laughs> <laughs> every time she puts the fucking thing on, I can see pain. <laughs> um, but anyway, go on. I think. Uh, how many more facts you got? Um, that was pretty much it, because I think we, we've covered everything. As I said, we've gone over the fact that there was going to be sequels to this, but they that, that, that never happened. The NGM, they still own the rights to Stargate, and, I, and, and there is something out there. I'm not sure whether we will ever see anything to come out of the Stargate universe again, but I would like to think that we would because... I'll be honest with you. In, in, in current day, no. Let current day pass yeah, and then everything to be nice because I don't want it full of fucking identity politics. I want it like that cool kind of adventure series because it was it was yeah. a cool adventure series. Okay, maybe I didn't like the first the first part of, of Stargate SG-1, but after that, I found it just to be like a really cool kind of... It was just something nice to watch. That you'd flick on Sky. It was happy. And it was yeah, hopeful. It, it was happy and it was hopeful. You get the because what will happen is they'll do what they did to Stargate. They'll do what they did to bloody Star Trek, and it'll just be this miserable, fucking, horrible excuse of a, of a TV series. And I don't want that because I have I have fond memories of this. As I said, Stargate Atlantis is my favourite one, um, and I think it's for the fact that I think one of the big factors is the fact that I got to watch it from the beginning. Um, that my biggest it's... problem in Stargate Atlantis is probably Tori Higginson. Who played? Um, I can't remember. Well, she got chopped. She got, got chopped. But this is the funny thing: is she was in a TV series that I really liked that you never watched, called Dark Matter, and her character in that. She was great as the character in and, that. And she was, she was recast as well because the initial actress to play that 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 role was in because SG One did a kind of backdoor pilot for Atlantis, if you remember. Yeah. Um, and she was in the character was in that, and it was a blonde. And then they recast it as Tori. Um, uh, we'll have to we'll have to do SG One. We'll have to go and maybe mo both both of us should go and watch the entire when we finished a run of ten of these fast food films. We'll go and watch the entire first series of SG One and review the entire lot. Just uh, I think because uh, I do like yeah I, okay as I said the first series isn't my favourite but it's still good TV. It There's was, some yeah, brilliant episodes in there, and I mean you know. The show lost like half of its leading cast, and or they lost its leading role. And I, you know, a lot of people said that SG One would never be the same without Richard Dean Anderson, and it was different. But by God, Ben Bowder and What's Her Face coming in did a damn good job. And those final few seasons with the with the What's His Face were really fucking good. You know, what I liked one thing I really liked about Stargate SG One and Atlantis. Was it turned into a refuge from for people whose TV shows had been cancelled? Yes. So you had and Ben Browder and Claudia Bracu were from Farscape that got cancelled. You had the guy who played uh, was it Doctor Flox in um, oh what's the, the Enterprise? Yeah, it was Robert. He no, was in it. it was um, no, from... it was it was um, the guy that played the engineer in Enterprise. He he was in Atlantis, was Atlantis as Michael. In Stargate SG One, as one of the nerds. Was that he? Got, yeah, he was oh yes, you're nerds. right. Yes, he was. 
And Robert Picardio was in it, obviously, in the Robert last. Um, was in it as as the as the, as yeah. the base head. I really enjoyed him as 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 the leader yes. of Atlantis. Yes. Annoyingly, the best one was Carter, and it was great because when Carter was in charge of Atlantis, she pretty much fucking fixed everything, and it was a case was of. Just, and then it was like a case of we have to get rid of her because she'll solve everything, and we won't have any more TV show left. <laughs> But this because she you know because she she headed the base for season three of Atlantis, didn't she? She she came in I mean season three four. or was it four? Whole of season four. Season four, four, yeah, because Tori Hingson did the first did three, three, I think. And then she, he did yeah. four and, and then, then Picardo. Picardio took over season five. Picardo. Um, um but I mean, yeah, but here again, Amanda Tapping is a perfect example of how this series was progressive. And yet, you're right. If it was made today, they'd still find something to take exception to. I, I do like the fact because you had you had Amanda Tapping in there, and because she had so much experience with fighting the replicators and taking on the gold and the Ori and all of that, yeah. And then when she went over to Atlantis, she took all of that stuff there, and all of a sudden they're just getting shit done. I was like, this is great because you're like, you felt like they kind of they could take on anything. And I remember the one where the three of them get trapped in an underground bunker. That's Rodney, Jill State's character, I can't remember Love her Rodney. name, the doctor, and Amanda Tapping. And they refer to the real hustle from BBC Three. Yes. Uh, as a thing to, to, we have to talk about the other, t- we have to talk about SG1, Atlantis, and, and Stargate Universe. Maybe we should, as I said, do the thing. <gasps> oh, no, no. That's my. F- You're talking about one of my favorite TV shows. <laughs> oh, of all time. oh, he's touching on something here. Okay, um, that's my favorite TV show of all time. That and the Expanse are the two TV shows uh, that I'm just like. As, oh. as, as as you've brought this up, I will tell you a story. I I have known this gentleman here for many 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 years. Right, we 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 sort of like grew up at college, and I was always like his big trekking. He goes, "You got to watch Babylon Five, and I went, "No, it looks shit. All the effects crap." He goes, "You got to watch Babylon Five. No, 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 shit." I watched Babylon 5 because he made me watch the videos and I have since watched it probably binged. every couple of years since. You watched, you got, it you is binged probably the my favourite series. I, I was like, I was like a drug dealer to you. Yeah. He was like, you got to give me the <laughs> next video. <laughs> He's like, because you only give me one video at a time and don't give me the next fucking video. <laughs> Oh, before she sees a fucking three when the shadow walk kicks, I'm like, I'm fucking getting <laughs> I, I find that weird because because B5 got it's got more in common with Lord of the Rings than it does with any other sci fi. Um, we could do an entire freaking 10 hour stream on Babylon 5 and how it was constructed, how it was made, how the fact that he can conceived it as uh, you know, wrote the bloody book before it was uh, even out there. He knew where this series had a beginning, and, a middle, and, and fact, an end. And, hang on a second. And the fact that the people who created Deep Space Nine held on to the Bible that he created, which had his yes, this is true. And, and then they were forced to give it back and pay the pay out a lovely uh, thing. Uh, never watched season five because the season... yeah, right. Hang well, on a funny enough, right? The hold final on. episode of Babylon Five, season five. Would have aired as the final episode of season four, and they held on to it. But that episode that ends season five was shot at the end of season four. So it's worth if you don't watch any other episode, watch the final episode of season five because it's brilliant. Yeah, that's season four. And it's very. Hang on a second. Season five was setting up a load of stuff. It was setting up a load of stuff that was supposed to be going into Crusade. You had the the Drac, who were the servants of the shadows, but they, but they were also set up in the movie Call to Arms as well. Which no, no, they set, up, they were set up primarily in this. They became this kind of this kind of weird thing that was happening in the background. Oh, they, they had... Drac launch a plague, don't they? In Call to Arms, that's when the plague get, and then that's the the beginning of Crusades, isn't it? Yes, because they because yes, yeah. in, in a genius move, they turned around and went, "Look, if we can't get him with the planet killer, we'll get him with the plague." And they got in with the plague, mm. and it was great because the plague, the plague was actually in Crusade was supposed to be dealt with by uh, beginning of season three. They yeah. were supposed to figure out how to do the plague because the plague was an AI. Th- oh, dude, no, dude, we went from Stargate to everything else. Um, we have to. Well, no, we- we've gone to Babylon Five because you mentioned Babylon Five. You realise what you have done. Uh, <laughs> we're okay. both massive B five fans, um, and I have this man man to thank because I never would have watched it and. I've, I think I've seen it about 10 times now. I, funny enough, 
recently watched it. I watched it at the beginning of this year. In fact, I bought the whole lot on Amazon and watched it all again because because I love it. And you realize how much it influences sci-fi. Like, you know, a lot of people will never admit to watching Babylon 5, but you watch a lot of modern sci-fi. There is a shitload of influence in B5. It's it's because the guy guy JMS said that he got most of his inspiration from British TV series such as Doctor Who and Blake 7. Yeah. And one of the big ones was Blake 7 with the fact that you had this kind of... And Blake 7 is a massive influence on, on, on science fiction where you've got this ragtag crew with different opinions. So Farscape is pretty much Blake 7. Um, Dark Matter is pretty much Blake 7 when you've got this, all these kind of people with all conflicting things, but they're all forced together, being chased down by someone. And mm. I've, got, I've got to watch Blake 7 because I've only seen the, I think I've only seen the pilot episode and that was back in the 90s. And that was really good because the guy was, I think the guy was accused, that Blake himself was accused of uh, fucking like pedophilia or something like that and some really disgusting things to make people hate him. So that was the reason he was on the run. And we knew he was innocent, which is great. Ah, dude, we've got, we've got a lot to talk about outside fast food films. Um, we do I, because B, B5 and, and Stargate are, are some of my most treasured series. And, and, and I suppose you're right. If they made them at the moment, we would have problems. But um, uh, no, Babylon Five is is yeah, no, it's, it's it's up there. It's up the top. Of, it's probably at the top of my list. The uh, you once you get into it, the storytelling is so damn good. Oh, yeah. That um, that you don't give a shit about the effects. The best, oh, one, um, oh, I I I had to show my son. I had to show my son. He didn't understand because he hadn't watched a TV show. Like, was one of the best things I ever saw in a TV show was there's this character called Morden, and it's when when um, uh, Londo catches him, and they've put the shadows on on the island of Cellini or wherever it is, and he turns around and said, he goes, yeah, he goes. Uh, because our ship's gonna goes, we've got to remove the influence, the shadow influence from this planet. Other Vorlons are gonna blow the fucking thing up. And he turns around and goes, "Yeah." He goes, "But you're not gonna go and remove the ships because we can approach a, uh, 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 we can sense a, a ship approaching from miles away. So what are you gonna do, Malari? Huh? Blow up the island?" And then he turns around and goes, "No, you mention it." And then from orbit, you yes. see the detonate the brilliant scene. Yes. And then the guy's yes, like, that... "Holy fuck!" He blew the island. Fucking brilliant scene oh, that was. One of my was... favorite scenes. And it was great. But, because I mean, Morden, it was great because Morden at that time hadn't had his comeuppance. He really no. came close to having his comeuppance with Gar- uh, with uh, Sheridan and Garibaldi, where they caught him, and and, really. and Sheridan was told to back off. Yeah, so he came close to having his his comeuppance then, and then he does have Blondo gets him to have his comeuppance, and it's oh, it's magnificent, <laughs> it's brilliant. Blondo oh, was one of my favourite characters because Londo's, Londo and Jakar, they could have just done a series with just those two. Shakar, I love Shakar, I love those two. But um, Londo and Shakar were probably, I think they're probably my favourite characters. But the other thing that I love about it is, it's like, <laughs> um, I mean, I shouldn't, it's not the password anymore, so I can say this. But uh, I, I, I work, well, I still do work in IT. But when I first started working out as like a, a single IT admin, I used to pick passwords from my uh, from sci-fi shows. And my and my boss went. So, what's the new admin password? And I told him what it was. He goes, "Oh, I goes. Well, that doesn't sound like it's from a sci-fi show." I went, "It is." I know because <laughs> I, 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 I yeah, yeah I use Garibaldi's password because I love that scene. It's like he goes, "So, what's your password?" Peekaboo. The guy just like, "Well, nobody's gonna guess that." <laughs> and it's so That's true. a good point. That's a good point. It's, it's so fucking true. For years, the admin password for that company was Peekaboo. We do need to go back to the the, the, the the TV shows of bygone era because there's some classics. You like you got Red Dwarf, Star Trek: The Generation was really good. Voyager was good. Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, even though it ripped off B five, was really good. Um, not as good as B five though. Um, it was no. still really good. Um, yeah, uh, and it was, it was brave for Star Trek. Yeah, then it was, it was brave for Star Trek. Quantum Leap. I've been watching Timeless, and it reminds me of a modern day version of Quantum Leap. Um, I love Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. And that's Again, the thing. a show that wasn't ended properly, though. That was the that was the thing. Thing Quantum Leap deserved a better ending than it got. Um, I mean, you could argue the same about B five, but uh, as I said, that that final episode of season five is very very good. Um, and I, I won't spoil it for you because you haven't seen it, but I love that final scene. 
Okay, I think um, we've wandered, I think we've wandered off into the weeds, and we've got some ideas for yes. some more broadcasts. Um, we, so, we we have, but uh, we'll be, we'll yeah, I mean that's pretty much covered my facts for 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 star for Stargate. Um, and it is it, it is a fast food movie, but I think it has there's more depth to it. Again, a bit like Independence Day, but it's it's different because I have very fond memories of it because I went. It was one of the very few films as a family we went to see. And yeah, it's um, like, it's like we all loved it. There's a film called Deep Blue Sea, and it's it's mine and my wife's film because it was a, our first date that we went on, and we had little gummy we had little gummy sharks, and we went to Woking Cinema, and we we, we love the hell out of that film for that. And uh, I got to see Saffron Barrow stripped down to her underwear. Bonus. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't you see because my parents were was are sci-fi nuts. I mean, I had no hope, but back then there weren't that many sci-fi films. So as a whole, we never went. I think the next time I remember going to the cinema as a family was Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, and uh, funny enough, the year after my grandfather died, my grandmother came to stay with us, and we took her to see Narnia. And that was the last film as a family we went to see, which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was not a patch on Lord of the Rings. Um, but uh, I remember going, we saw each of the Lord of the Rings films as a family because my mum was a massive uh, Tolkien uh, fan. Uh, um, our, last, our last family film that we I watched, I can remember, was uh, was an Adam Sandler film, and we've never spoken to each other since. <laughs> and, on that, and on that note, I think it's time we say goodbye. So uh, it's, it's 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 been really good this week. Thank you um to uh Golin the Hobbit. Um <laughs> uh it's been great uh talking with somebody and having somebody commenting. So thanks for thanks for that. Uh, yes. massively appreciated. Thanks, Tanny, for watching. Yes, you Stargate Universe is great. Disagreeing with you. <laughs> All right. Don't make his dinner. <laughs> I'm, I'm, doing, I'm on the barbecue today. Um, oh, don't don't. I've got to get down and some, sort some stuff out. So uh, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And we'll see you again soon. Actually, tomorrow. <laughs>